Hey, welcome to Escape from Plan A. Uh, this is a new episode for the new free episode for this week. This is your host, Teen, and joined by Chris. Chris, what is going on, man? Hello. Uh, and for the first time in like months, it seems. Jess, Jess, how is it going? It's uh, it's it's going. Surprised. I I just went to I just went to like monk mode for a couple months. I guess. I don't know. Oh, really? <laughs> oh. Uh, no, I mean, like, you've been in touch and everything. To go a couple and... months without having something to say? I mean, that's very uncharacteristic. Well, this this one is, uh, this the topic for today, uh, the genesis is, was, was with you. Um, and we'll intro the topic in a sec, but I guess a little housekeeping. Um, we're continuing to, uh, you know, we're still um, in sort of uh, uh, full-on Patreon mode, trying to uh, build up the Asian American Writers Fund. Um, so if you, uh, kind of like the episodes that you're getting on the free feed on this feed and you want more episodes, which we release once a week, the bonus pods are available to Patreon members. So check us out at patreon.com slash plan a mag link is in the show notes. Uh, and you also get access to the plan a discord. All right. So with the housekeeping done, uh, intro, the topic, the topic, just, you want to give a little spin on it or I can kind of like um uh, I can kind of intro it and let you take it away um oh yeah I'll, I'll take a stab at it I mean we've been we've been talking about this back and forth for a long time so um it's kind of it's gonna be a pretty broad ranging conversation I think but loosely it's it's more like I've been noticing a real shift in attitudes around wealth and power um like loosely like over the course of let's say like the last 20 years uh i think we did a pod on the 1999 movies um opened a great conversation there to kind of set up you know there was something very special about that particular like the backlash year, maybe against that... the the backlash against like office cubicle life and the stability of yeah of the yeah 90s, so yeah. you know this is like the rough theme that connects the, the movies that you guys talked about is uh that like like um, post-industrial service economy middle-class life there's something very artificial inhuman uh, about it and that there's a dark edge underneath like it's not an unalloyed good thing uh, to be aspiring to be uniformly aspiring towards yeah i just um, let people see- know that was episode 275 mm-hmm. if you want to go listen to it it's a great one i think we have more to talk about just on those movies too uh but uh the thing that i wanted to think about like talk talk out here is that in the next you know so that was a very like that was a very clear thematic message i think that um that a lot of people were receptive to a lot of these movies are still iconic today Uh, but after that there's a bit of an ideological shift right so this is after 9-11 the bush gore election and then and then um you know, heading into the Obama years, it's kind of like there's a renormalization of uh, class aspiration or the the um, the seeking of power, right, uh, and materialism, right. You mean and it's become, start- it's become in vogue again to be. Uh, mm-hmm. To be a striver, to be uh, pursuing yeah, to power be a striver exactly. Mm-hmm to to grind it out this is the and you know social you know socially this is the rise of like the girl boss you know hustle culture grinding it out uh which is which you know when as it turns out it's more a a reflection of like stagnant wages the rise of the gig economy Um, i think the resurgence of of tech uh of of tech uh well of tech in general after you know sort of like the dot-com bubble you know 
the the that was sort of a leveling or or like sort of a clearing of the field, but you know that was the rise of Fang, right? And yeah, uh, yeah. tech to a level that had not been achieved even at the heights of the first dot com sort of bubble. Then we get you know Zuckerberg and uh, Bezos and Elon Musk going to heights that we had not seen before, and it it brought a new mystique, I think, to tech that that was well transcending of the pets.com sort of you know era right right so uh, like a massive consolidation of power a rapid consolidation of power and like the figures from the old tech wave like bill gates just like practically like ascended into the illuminati at that point right um and so but and then in in uh, I mean, it's a bit of a chicken and egg question to talk about, like, which di- drove what. But the media of the time then, both in, like, the, the big media, the movie franchise, film franchises that started coming out, as well as, like, prestige TV and sitcoms, they all kind of had a certain ideological commonality to them. They don't look like they do, but, you know, with the perspective of time, I think it becomes pretty um, – it's, it's like, I, I, I can make a case – that a lot of these shows were very concerned about um, establishing some kind of right to rule, right? Essentially, like figuring out a hierarchy, right? Coming to mm. like a, some social understanding of a the proper hierarchy. It doesn't question that a hierarchical society needs to exist. It's really more about saying why people at the top uh, were justified in the positions that they held, right? Because right. they're more moral, they're smarter, they're just cooler or they work harder from whatever dimension right it's it was really about justifying their position um and this is backed by you know like and like hustle culture grind culture is basically kind of a little bit of a pyramid scheme ish thing going uh because to prop that up requires that we all buy into that right like we have to say oh okay i can see why this person uh got to the top they worked harder than me they're more talented than me they're uh, luckier than me or something, just imbued with some characteristic. Are you talking about the period before the financial, uh, the Great Recession and, and Occupy Wall Street or... or, or, or Around after? the same time. Like a lot mm. of these, uh, like a lot of these um, franchises took a long time to culminate, right? So specifically, I'm thinking of... Um, I'm thinking of stuff like, uh, like Marvel Avengers, right? Which started, I think, around like late... 2000s like 2007 2008 for the first iron man movie maybe a few years after that for the first iron man like 2003 2004 right okay around that time but like we're talking like a decade right it took basically a decade for this franchise to mature and like like finish up right um a lot of other stuff 2008 if that makes a difference okay all right um so things like like uh like the like the newest star wars um trilogy right game of thrones and then and then um in the in the tv world we're talking about like um like west wing west wing was a early aughts right i think it finished before the great recession i think it might have started like very late 90s because i remember it had it had a 9-11 episode and it was already pretty well all right yeah the infamous oh, that's right. uh, 9-11 yeah. episode yeah. the arab kkk you know whatever yeah uh-huh so we have the West Wing. Uh, we have uh, we have like uh, like Parks and Recreation um, 
shows like that that were all about uh, that that really showed like government or people in power as uh, as as like people you could trust right people who um like you watch them even if they're being bad you can still understand why they're in a position to be able to be bad like they're interesting they're cool they are smart um and so you see you, you see kind of a normalization of an identification with power and therefore that's kind of a justification of it um, I mean, this all seems to be just like the global norm, you know, like mm-hmm. it, hasn't it always been like this and we've always sort of had, uh, some mythos around those in power. Probably. Um, yeah, but you're saying I mean, that I'm not it saying changed. this is, I'm saying it changed, uh, mm-hmm. notably. Um, uh-huh. I'm not really saying that there's some, there was something new going on here. It's just, I'm not sure if anyone has really sat down to, to track the evolution of this over time. What I think what, what is unusual is that it is a, is it, I think we are on a rather compressed timeline. I mean, I think it changed with Trump and I think uh, it did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, even, even you know, one movie that I think is kind of interesting in in this context is uh, Margin Call. I don't know if I know Chris is a big fan of that movie. Yeah, yeah, I like. Um, it it was one of those movies that I had essentially watched the whole thing via YouTube clips because for yes. whatever reason they're very popular. <laughs> yeah, and I finally sat down and watched the whole movie. I realized, except for maybe like two or three scenes, I already, already watched the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, there's so many great. YouTubeable highlight uh, clips uh, for that movie, and it's a, it's a really well done movie, uh, and I think it's very interesting because it kind of rides the line between. And I think it I think there is an inflection point uh, post financial crisis because you know we know that the people high up caused this, but we also kind of felt like only the people high up could fix it, and mm-hmm. I think Margin Call has that aspect where it's like. You know, it was a movie that depicted this as a, a system that was far too complicated uh, and big for anyone to have really done anything about it. But the people in power were really the only ones that understood or even capable of understanding what had happened. And the people at that fictional bank, I guess it was like a sort of a Lehman Brothers uh, stand-in, uh, were the only people that could really address it that could really even grasp what was going on. So it was like, I think we were kind of wrestling with this issue of, uh, you know, we know that people, you know, we're starting to understand that the people that these problems are coming up from high up mismanagement at the top levels, but who do you turn to, to fix it? I mean, you're going and to turn to exact, people at the top, you know? That was the exact debate going on in Congress, between Congress and Wall Street around the mm-hmm. 08 crisis. That was, that, was the, it, that was the heart of the debate, right? Mm-hmm. The too Congress big to was fail debating debate. too big to fail, um, which mm-hmm. ended up meaning too big to jail. Uh, right. Like, it's so complicated. Like, why should we reinvest power and money back into the hands of the people who gambled with it and lost spectacular lost it all spectacularly right yeah i remember when margin call first came out and i think the firm is probably like aig because like lehman actually went under whereas the uh the the fake firm in Uh in a margin call actually like Mm. sells all their toxic assets so Mm -hmm. it's like one of the bad ones that that stayed in business but i remember some criticism of it because the director this guy named jc chandor is actually the son of an investment banker (laughs) <laughs> and a lot of the people said, and I think he actually said in an interview, 
he wanted to show that not all the Wall Street guys were bad guys. You got characters in the movie that are kind of trying to do the right thing. I guess the uh, uh, Zachary Quinto is, you know, he has some sense of, you know, this is wrong. Let's try to fix it. Kevin Spacey is is very compromised, but he also has some, some, still some semblance of a conscience. And then uh, even back then, some people were calling out like this guy's kind of, you know, he he's got his own bias here because he's part of the insider class. Yeah, yeah, it had that. I think the movie was very sympathetic to bankers, right? To say that these are they're they're flawed, they're sort of flawed gods. Um, but when it all went down, I mean, you know, all of them had, it kind of reminded me also of like, you know, the big short where you have, um, these two kids who are trying to like bet against, uh, you know, bet against the more, you know, the real the American real estate basically. And they finally get their big bet. You know, they get, they, they get qualified. They, they sign their is the master agreement and they, you know, put on that, you know, the big trade, the big trade that they wanted to do and they're celebrating. And then Brad Pitt is like. Don't you don't you dare clap. Don't you dare laugh. You just bet against the American economy. You know, like, you know, it's like these people with a conscience, you know, like yeah, it's like every time the unemployment goes up by one percent, like forty thousand people like commit suicide or, or so some stat like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like like they're 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 you know, they're it's like this depiction of these people who um are at home watching their portfolio, but they're sweating because they, you know, they can see through the code and all the people, all the suffering that it's going on behind the behind the digits, you know. Yeah. Meanwhile, Tim Geithner is is making the case that um, foreclosures are actually fine because the banks can tolerate up to ten million of them. So we are foam on the runways for the banks. What's that dude up to these days? I mean, I'm looking it up right now, but he's at a private equity firm, I think. Tim Geithner. Why am I not surprised? Yeah, Yeah, he's making the same like immortality juice that Henry Kissinger's on. I swear. (laughs) Yeah. God. Um, so I think, and I think one dimension, but one dimension that I think is new is it's it's not. I think you're right, Teen. Like there's always there's always a there's always a justification of power. There's always propaganda to justify why the order that you see now is the order that should be right. Um, I think what's happening right now is a convergence between two different kinds of. Uh, rationales or normal justifications for power. One is kind of a meritocratic ideal, right? So this, like, so through like stuff like West Wing, uh, West Wings, Parks and Recreation, stuff, stuff like that. And there's kind of a meritocratic, uh, like, like the characters are put through their paces, right? They have to prove in some sense why they are the best, right? Through intelligence or charisma, whatever, Right, but I think where I see the the convergence is we're actually defaulting kind of to an old, much older, like aristocratic ideal for for hierarchical organization, like literally birthright. You are born to power, or some some Nate, some character that you have no you had no say in imbues you with the right to rule, to have life, you, or, to make life. Re- like in, in mean, real life should, or in culture, in culture. Right, and I think it dovetails in real life because what what are we seeing? We keep seeing reports about the you know lack of upward mobility and the consolidation of class power, right? So it's saying you know if the biggest predictor for where you end up in life is who you are born to and who those what character those people have, right? So this is defaulting to so high so you know upward mobility, um, downward mobility is accelerated though. That's the, that's the key thing here though. 
Um, so it's a much older form of social organization where ref- where your position does not really move. You can't really expect to move all that much from where you were born. You're talking about like succession or something like that? or um, Yeah. So, um, so, I mean, one of the biggest ones, and I, I've, I've never really seen some, anyone really analyze it from this dimension, but that's the, that's the Avengers. That's a superhero genre oh, yeah. that we've been fed for the last 10 years. Yeah. Well, I, I think people have said, critiqued it on those grounds that okay. these movies do propagate this message that the basically the cause and solution to all of life's problems are these gods from above. And all we are is like one of the, I don't know, millions who might die when, you know, these cities that they use as their fighting grounds, you know, as they like demolish skyscrapers and throw... Uh, buildings at each other uh, we're just ants and all we can identify with are the superhumans yeah i mean there was a yeah was, that was actually a hilarious twitter thread uh where people talk like if the avengers blew through town what would you know what would you be doing and people <laughs> being like oh shit <laughs> like you just finished like the meme is like you just finished paying off your car and hulk throws it at the <laughs> at yeah. an alien or something right like yeah if like how many times the avengers like ruin the shit out of manhattan if that hit the news, I'd be calling you guys. Like, are you guys okay? Um, see, and there's never any accountability. That's where I think we, we're, we're starting. This is where I think we're starting to see a real break between culture and reality. That this culture to me seems, this culture where we are sort of kind of going in the direction of like birthright and um, sort of the succession of power through family and inheritance. I think that's real in an economic sense. Like, um, you know, just sort of. If you if you look at Wall Street, you can see that you know there's a huge shift away from things like investment banking, where you know they're they're sort of like IPOing new in, you know new innovative companies that are creating new wealth. They're moving well away from that, and they're moving towards private wealth management, right? So instead of like creating new wealth, it's you know the big curating business on Wall Street money. now is yeah is, is curating and protecting old wealth, right? And that is a sort of economic fact that's going on because I think the engine of growth has stalled and, you know, we're not, there's nothing new around the corner. But I think at the same time, that, that is also the, the sort of like, there's nothing new coming around. There's nothing new in the pipeline. There's no, you know, like 2022 is not going to look much, it's not going to look that much different than 2012, right? Like technologically speaking. And, you know, humanity has not made any grand achievements within those 10 years or even 20 years since 2002. And um, we were supposed to be in an age where there would be these grand achievements and the, you know, the future would look radically different than, you know, some reference point um, in, say, the 90s or 2000s. And I think that that for a lot of people, this is what I was trying to say on the on the on the online chat that we had about this has, I think, poked a hole in the mystique around billionaires and the billionaire class. Because I think for a long time, like, people looking back, I think it's more apparent looking back that we were living under a culture or a cultural assumption that they were just going to sort of, like, eventually transcend being human and become literally like a sort of god class. You know, we're, t- we're like taking very seriously this idea that they could achieve immortality, that they would achieve like space travel, that they would achieve, you know, the ability to um, basically like transcend human limitations. I think even in 
I was watching a couple episodes of Succession and like, you know, right off the bat, they start talking about like, have you guys taken uh, cryogenics seriously? <laughs> you know? Does and Connor say that? That sounds like a very Connor Roy thing to say. Is that is that um, mm-hmm. is Connor Roy the um, uh, the the Ferris Bueller guy? Or? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, what's yeah. What was his character from Ferris Bueller again? Um, he was the he was he was Cameron. He was his best. Yeah, Cameron. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah. the embodiment of the totally useless, um, delusional, like fail son billionaire. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, and and he's and he's and he's there's these fantasies that they have these transhuman fantasies where billionaires would buy you know it's kind of like the you know the in social network the social network that movie where he's like you know what's cooler than a million dollars is a billion dollars right like the the new club is the billionaire the billionaires club and the truth is that a billion dollars you know or even a hundred billion dollars it really doesn't because of technology's limitations what does it buy you you know, like Paul Allen was, uh, you know, living in the world's largest yacht and he was worth <laughs> how many hundreds of, and he's just, he just fucking died. <laughs> you know, like he just fucking died. Man. And there's I nothing his billions could do to prevent that. And I, so I love I think, that he died and like two mega yacht companies went under. Yeah. Exactly. Wait, Paul Allen died? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Oh, Paul damn. Died. Yeah. And, and, and then, like, know, he, like, he and now, some man. other guy were, yeah, yeah. were in this, like, mega yacht, like, dick measuring contest, oh, no. basically. So yeah. he, like, single handedly was responsible for, like, like half of an entire, like, in- mega industry. Well, not mega, but, like, a highly specialized industry. And then when he died, like, the market just evaporated. I got to think how many other industries he's propping up. Because he's got to be single handedly funding entire economies probably with his you know whims and whatever so i mean i don't know like one of those things i think one of his yachts was estimated at like like 600 million dollars and that's like the gdp of whole countries right there yeah but paul Allen aside i think this is like i was watching succession this is kind of what what brought this kind of home to me this is a show that makes being um a super billionaire look like viscerally unappealing Right. And it's a, it's kind of an interesting it's kind of interesting because these characters are not only they're not just villains right villains can be cool or interesting these guys are absolutely anti charismatic stupid as shit venal selfish just petty they're not sm- they're not interesting characters at all I think it's a real twist of like great like showmanship that they're still able to create compelling co- content about this but these are like you don't want to be them that's that's the whole thing. You watch the show about these mega billionaires living lavish lives, and you don't want to be there. Yes, I think that is a I major was, thing. Yeah, I was going to counter that by saying I they're definitely like unexceptional. I mean, you look at someone like Kendall Roy, and you're just like, this guy's a total loser. Like nobody really wants Man, to. You hang really out don't with this like guy. Kendall Roy. <laughs> no, no, I no, I like Kendall Roy, but uh-huh. I think. I'm waiting for the think piece that comes out saying succession is problematic because it makes us, because you go on Twitter and people are like, I'm team Ken. No, I'm team uh, Roman. And you got people like actually siding with any of these dipshits. And I'm just waiting for somebody to say like, this is wrong. This is bad because now we're identifying too closely with these disgusting monsters. Uh, So I agree with you in the sense that they're totally demystifying the billionaire class, but I think an argument could be made. They're also humanizing them to the point where people may not want to be them, but also would be like, yeah, you know what? He's because remember um, 
actually, no, I don't want to say because I don't want to spoil it for teen unless you've already seen all the spoilers online. But there's certain horrible things that happen that people are very willing to forgive because they identify very closely with these characters. That's true. But I think, like, they're so stupid and uninteresting. Like, the <laughs> idea is you, like, like step out of the way, bitch. I can do your job better than you can, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, de- it, 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 it removes their justification for their position. If you can see how you could actually do this better than they can, like, where's the rationale for them getting to, why, why, why do they get this inordinate power to control, you know, millions of lives here? Right, I think that's it's not a, something that, you can say about like, uh, like I don't know, um, Black Widow or something. I, or I think Hulk. that's re- very important that we don't human that we don't humanize billionaires. That it, it, it's important for us to look at them and not recognize them as normal human beings because we kind of need them to be godlike, right? Because like part of us mm-hmm. needs an ongoing justification as to why they even exist. And if they're just like you and me, if they're just normal, fallible people, well, why the fuck should they be billionaires then? You know, yeah. I think I think that's part of it. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that in the past, I think since the financial crisis and since um, the bailouts, which I think in, in, in many ways lifted uh, the curtain um, for the ruling class and we kind of got to peek behind the curtain and see the wizard. Uh, that there is just less of a mystique. The mystique around them has been eroded. I think even an Elon Musk in many ways is kind of a clown character that the internet sort of has adopted as its own sort of, you know, it, it, he, he's in a way like mocking uh, that class, the seriousness of that class while being its most prominent member. And um, we're in a new era where we think of these people as buffoons and they should be um, knocked down a notch. Like, I, I think we hate I think we hate our billionaires now. You know, in that sense, I was going to say Steve Jobs timed his death perfectly. He died right at mm. the peak of billionaire worship. When did he die? I kind of forget um, what year he died. Look it up yeah, right now. Right. Remember that uh, biography that came out? Uh, OK, he died in 2011. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Uh, and and remember, right after that, completely fawning the Walter Isaacson one. Yeah, it was just mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, look, look, if he lived like ten years more, he could have turned out to be Bill Gates and got caught up in some very embarrassing uh, divorce and sex scandal and yeah. Yeah, it's good for his legacy. It's kind of like the uh, white collar equivalent of the Twenty Seven Club, honestly. Wait, what's the Twenty Seven Club? Oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah, you know, the, rock yeah, stars yeah. who died. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure, yeah. So it's like Amy, Amy Winehouse, Kurt Cobain, yeah, yeah, like yeah, you like Tupac could have turned out to be like Jay Z. Now Jay Z is just this fat guy who just but, gets yeah. clowned on all the time. I mean, I think part of it is really the failure of technology to deliver anything that cool for rich people. What can they really do? I mean, like the stuff they're doing now is the stuff they've always been doing. Buying big ass boats, going to the French Riviera, um, dating a celebrity, uh, getting hair plugs, um, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, like buying a super big house. Like, it's fucking boring. <laughs> it's not, you know, like, you're not. It's pathetic. Yeah, they're you not. You can see the pathetic, in, the pathos in this. Yeah. It is. And and even like the power they, you know, that that's afforded to them, like, they're not 
there is the, the you know the the political system is so fucked up. I mean, beyond just gaming the system so that they don't they pay less tax. I mean, they're doing the same shit. They pay less taxes than you know than ordinary people. They you know blah blah blah. Like the the, the even the privileges of power have become boring. And um, yeah, I I just think like again, I think for a long time we were thinking that they would become this runaway class where they would become godlike. And I think there was a fear and a awe of billionaires and, you know, uber success that made them like sort of like made that uh, awe and uh, yeah, that awe a sort of anchor point for our culture where we still had a sort of worshipful respect um, for money and power. And now that we realize billionaires, they can't overcome their fundamental personal shortcomings. Like George Soros is a horny old goat. He's gross, you know, like, um, you know, uh, Bill Gates, like was into some, you know, uh, Epstein shit. Um, you know, and he was having these stupid affairs and his wife hates him, you know, like <laughs> it's, they can't get past, they can't get into orbit. They're I'm still subject to, dictate to the same, public health. Yeah. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like they're still yeah. subject to the same gravity as the rest of us. And I think that that yeah. has taken away a lot of the mystique and we don't worship them anymore. And we are in a new phase of, you know, and I think it's a new phase where it might be dangerous to be seen as it's a destabilizing wealthy. phase because it's saying, well, if you're no better than me or, you know, somebody, if I can understand you uh, so much clear, so much better than you can understand me, um, what is the justification for why you have so much ability to harm me and not the reverse? Yeah, exactly. I think, I think people are starting to see this and there is a visceral change. Uh, and I think maybe this is what, um, you're seeing and that prompted you to want to uh, do a pot about it is there yeah for me, definitely there's yeah. a vi- there is a there's a very um there's a major discontinuity i think around the trump era when trump became the ultimate sort of joke of a billionaire we're not even sure he's a billionaire but we yeah. almost like want him to be a bil- billionaire just so he can defame his own class <laughs> you know <laughs> um you know, we'd rather he be a billionaire so that he can, you know, be a credible uh, mockery of, you know, of that of that class. I mean, the he's kind of a Schrodinger's billionaire, billionaire, right? I think yeah. it's like, you know, somebody described him and I think with some accuracy, you know, he's a rich, he's a poor person's idea of what a rich person is. Yeah. Which yeah. is both true. He is also rich. He's like whether rich, he's yeah. an actual billionaire or not is actually is a little immature. He lives the life of a rich person, right? And and even if he's not a billionaire, he did what none of them could, which is become president. So he like won in the end. Yeah. So he can he he's he's kind of a alchemical figure that can be morphed into whatever you need. Um, so I mean, this is like the starting, like 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 going back to succession. Um, there was an article. I think was it you or um. Philip that found it about you know the set design like some of the creative decisions behind Succession. Oh, that must have been Philip. Um, anyway, it was a thing that I picked that that it was something that I picked up on. Like the world of billionaires looks so bad. 
like so soullessly like like you just don't want to be there and the, it, like the article like this was an intentional decision to make these opulent interiors or like dem de depict the interiors of these people's lives as really soulless like luxurious without personality or character so you can tell it's it's you know these are like 80 million dollar penthouses in manhattan so it's obviously you know expensive but you don't but laid out in a way that you don't actually even want to be there it's very uncomfortable to watch this show like you just don't want to be there which is different uh which is different from like um you know the rich people porn uh media you know like keeping up with the kardashians shit like that that was really big like 10 15 years ago oh uh, yeah of course yeah chris do you know what i'm talking about you're the you're the you're the masochistic trash panda of media <laughs> so well, I, I think know. reality TV um, is where I draw my line, but I certainly know that okay. general sense. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, like Paris Hilton's whole whole shtick, you know, 10, 20 years ago, keeping the Kardashians. There was a whole genre about, uh, about you know, it, this is and where I think a lot of like celebrities especially wanted to do this whole like, oh, we're just like you. We're going to like show you the interiors of our lives and you're going to want to be part of it. And we're cool and we're wonderful. Um, there was a glamour to it. Right. Um, well, I think uh, what's her, what's her face? Chrissy Teigen uh, came up in that era and then also went down when that era ended. Right. Uh, so that was one of the little like red, like, like, Red, red flags to me that you know something is definitely changing here um it's no longer really it you don't really see media that draws you into the world of the super wealthy like this it's well, not it it's was, not I think the, it's not I think appealing the world of the super wealthy would you know would draw people in if if that sort of worshipful um belief in their like sort of pending you know imminent transhumanism was true were true you know, and, and we would see like, okay, these people are not even people like they're gods, you know, but I think now, yeah. um, you know, even looking at the state, even looking at even more ridiculous wealth porn and, you know, like, it seems like almost every month, like someone ups the ante in the Hollywood Hills or, or whatever with like a new, a newer $150 million house, you know, and then, you know, and now oh, I've it's been like, following that one. I've yeah, been like, following that one. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of them, right? And then you get um, these YouTube all-access videos where you can go in and they're explaining how, you know, oh, this was like, you know, this uh, Damien, what's his name, Damien Hurst? Like, whatever the fuck is The name. artist? Like, yeah, like, yeah. you know, and then, oh, we had to, like, crank, we, this is a piece of, solid piece of Carrera marble that we brought in via tanker from it. You know, all this shit. And you look at the house and you're like, it looks exactly like the last house. And on mm -hmm. top of that, it uh, it doesn't even look that nice. It looks it's the same fucking you know completely um, soulless uh, you know sort of like white white stone and glass modernist house that lacks any of the sort of tangible charm of actual mid century you know uh, uh, architecture. It's just pure, just gross wealth, and it's so confectionery that. I think ordinary people actually don't really like it that much. I mean, most people I know mm -hmm. that see this stuff kind of are like, it almost comforts people to be like, oh, this is what rich people are all about. Ah, fuck that. You know, like why they're paying, like, you know, you, you get these people who get billions of dollars in, you know, after their company's bought out by Facebook or whatever. Like the WhatsApp guy got 6 billion in cash sitting in his account and moved into the Hollywood Hills. 
and has he escaped you know earth's gravity no like he's just some fucking asshole in the hills now you know like um i i think without the impending without the belief that they actually are somewhere you know going to upload themselves into um a supercomputer and and be um sort of disembodied gods that uh we just don't give a fuck you know i think that that's 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 where i'm starting to feel the culture has changed is those houses don't sell either three yeah, of the companies same that, in new york that build like, those same yeah, in New they York, went you know, like, up. Those, with, with like 157 and these like billionaires row um, on Central Park South with these, you know, the highest uh, residential towers in the world are just south of Central Park. And you can see all access videos on YouTube. And they're not, honestly, they're not that nice. They're okay. And it doesn't really make you want to go there. I don't even, it doesn't even really make you want to visit, to be honest. You're kind of like, eh. I heard like a, that. In uh, 432 Park Avenue, which is this really, it's probably not the tallest tower in New York City anymore, but when it was built, it was. Um, they, they even have trouble just getting water up to the highest oh, floors. It, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I read mm-hmm. that New York Times article. Yeah, it's just the most basic stuff that even the person in the most, uh, you know, crappy uh, apartment in, in somewhere in in you know, New York City can count on probably, which is like just getting water out of their faucet. These people can't do. <laughs> yeah, the, the description of them like squabbling with their HOA basically. <laughs> like, that was hilarious. So yeah, mega they had, rich they had people that like they, Saudi they were squabbling oil on their On their <laughs> condo board, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because there's water behind the walls. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, do, I mean, you know, there was another story like Sonia, one of the real felt, housewives yeah. of New York. She had to take, she's been trying to sell her uh, Manhattan townhouse for like 10 years and she couldn't do it. She had to take it off the market. And it, there's this whole like ongoing saga of like how this poor woman cannot sell her. Like, you know, she can't, she tried to sell it for like 10 million that she dropped the price and now she can't sell the damn thing. And it's She'll turn to an Airbnb. Yeah, it's it's become a huge albatross. Right put it on now. verbal. We'll uh, we'll go, uh, we'll there. go there. next next plan <laughs> A. Uh, put it if she puts on a steep discount. Next plan yeah. A outing. We'll go there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it has been a major. You know, it's been a time of um, you know the the sort of ground the 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 grounding of the billionaires because you know I it it just there's some, just something uncool about being rich right now. Like there, it just there's not enough there. I think for the regular people to be worshipful of them. You know what I mean? There's just, just not enough there. All right. But uh, let me uh, ask you guys this. So just, I think you were talking before about how um, there was this like need for the ruling class to justify its place as this like permanent uh, ruling class and upper hierarchy. Uh, But I think there's also, a sense of the people below and uh, this someone one could say this is why the comic movies are so popular there's a need for the, the lower classes to also believe that because if you can't change the system and these people are on top forever then you better hope that they are smarter than you and wiser and benevolent and all that because if you're not you're totally screwed so if we're in this age where the the permanent upper class is demystified yet you also cannot change the system then what happens to the people below, like to to you and me and 
everyone? Do we just start going crazy and just start losing our faith in everything? Do we Social try to overthrow this class? And what, like, chaos. what happens here? That's what it means. It's a scary time. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I agree because I think that worship that the like like the worship of wealth was a form of like not religion, but like yeah. it was this sort of like organizing principle in culture. Like we, we had a consistent culture because everyone worshiped wealth and the wealthy and the wealthy in particular. Um, and if you take that away, um, there is a sort of nihilism that creeps in. You know, if people are not wowed by wealth, there's, we don't really have much to fall back on, which is kind of scary. Yeah. I also think a big part of mystique is the fact that we didn't really know what they lived like. Whereas now, like the most expensive penthouse in New York City, I can just go on Google Images and just look it up. Right. And there's yeah. probably some 360 Google Maps tour you can even do of it. And obviously, I'll never step foot in there, uh, at least like legally. But I can, you know, now um, I like how you left myself. yourself that little opening, you know, legally <laughs> at any rate. <laughs> but there is, I, I can see it. And then you're like, you know what? It's still a place. Yeah, it's, not, it's a place. It's yeah. not heaven. It's, it's not just Mount Olympus. It's yeah. just a place. Yeah. Full of people that no, are and, stupid and, it's also a, it's, and selfish. It's also yeah. an age of it's also an age of rentals where you, you probably could rent, you know, a place that a billionaire would kind of live in for you know a couple of days if you get enough people in on it. You know, um, it's it's not totally things are accessible more than they have been in the past. In part because I think the wealthy people need to rent their places out to to, <laughs> to stay solvent. It's ultimately a scam you know, economy. Um, yeah. But I think it's a so. this is so as wealth inequality and uh, upward mobility um diminishes this is kind of where they they're kind of you know uh this is kind of where they're uh they're signing their own um you know I don't want to say death certificates but it's like they're ringing their own bell in this case right because the way it propagates and the way it has successfully gone on this long is the promise that you one day you too if you uh, work hard and you're you know you just prove yourself you can ascend and join these ranks right and what we're seeing is uh you know they're getting a little they're getting a little too greedy this door is closing a little bit too fast compared to the number of people who are actually making it across the line here so the fewer people actually make it across the line they're the ones who were first to say like oh wow this this is really bullshit wow this is all bullshit that door was closed to begin with. So once you close that opportunity off, but you're still visible, you're making yourself the target here. There is no justification for everyone else to kind of form that vanguard. Uh, I mean, see it on Twitter, right? That's ultimately what, you know, why, why are you bootlicking for billionaires, right? Like the people that are that are coming to, like jumping to defend Elon Musk after he, you know, makes a fool out of himself on Twitter or something, right? Like, do you think oh, you're going to make Sanders it across that line? thing? Uh, I mean, it happens once in a while. It's just kind of, it's kind of hilarious how much Elon Musk Musk wants to be a cool guy on social media and just. Well, what else does he have to do, right? He can't do it. Yeah. Um, do, Chris, remember the moment in Succession where Kendall like sit, is sitting in the in the in like doing his machinations and he's like outsourcing his Twitter. I mean, like I want somebody smart and funny to do my oh, Twitter. Yeah, yeah. You know, make it smart yeah. and shit, but not like like too weird like go do it and like yeah like wow okay this is pro this, that, yeah that sounds that sounds like what somebody with more money than you know intelligence or capacity for wit would 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 say here yeah and then there's that uh, i mean like i don't want to spoil it for your team but based on the fact that you didn't 
particularly like season the episodes you watch I, i'm not sure you'll get to season three but there's a part in season three where he's in like a limo with his uh social media team and he's like he, he plays a game right where he um goes around uh, about kendall yeah he's like yeah. asking them like to show him like a tweet that is supporting him of uh, then someone has to show like one that's against him and it, he's just this complete obsession and he's like <laughs> tracking his followers it's, it's very sad uh yeah. but also you know probably the reality though is you know and i find this to be a, a funny trope in um in a lot of these shows because i think succession still takes in a way well at least the few episodes that i saw it, it still aggrandizes the uh the importance of you know this family because the real life murdochs or the real life redstones like nobody actually cares about them and like nobody's actually tweeting gossip about like nobody gives a shit about them like no no one is tweeting about Sumner Redstone's daughter. <laughs> you know, I don't even know who that is. Who is that? See? Exactly. No, see, I think <laughs> um, that's that's part of the that's part of the arc here. Um I think I, I like I think you, teen, maybe you're you're you would be bored by succession because it actually tracks what you're saying pretty like closely, right? But earlier seasons, okay. like they are not they are not particularly attractive people. They're not charismatic. So the first seasons kind of shows them being in anonymity or complete isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no, like people don't like, pe- nobody outside their bubble really cares. So on the few exa- few moments where they are outside and they come across like normies, you know, there's a bit of friction there. Because uh, no one, you know, they can't wear their immense privilege on, you know, on their faces when they go outside. Um, so it is about, you know, like, making that bubble tighter and tighter and then trying trying their best to generate that kind or pre- acting like acting like more people care about them than they actually do so i think it is a really carefully written show in that sense it is showing that they're really sad nobody actually really gives a shit um definitely not more than they in fact the people in their circle is kind of made pretty clear uh like nobody is nobody in their circle is doing it for like they're all in it for themselves here they're in it because they're getting paid by this powerful family. Oh, you mean you, yeah? But uh, for the kids themselves, there are many parts in the show where they could easily get out mm-hmm. and just take the money and go do whatever they want to do. But they don't because they know that they don't really have anything they want to because they have no sense of purpose in their lives. The only reason they're given any form of status or respect is because they're part of this uh, company that everyone does hate. But at least there's somebody's in it. So, yeah, that, that tracks to the point where, yeah, they don't really matter to anybody, even to like their own dad. Yeah, I mean, in a <laughs> Unless sense, they're part of the company. It kind of um, it kind of makes a case for uh, like a like a more meritocratic uh, the rightness of meritocracy in some sense. Right. Because the the patriarch is you can tell he is smart. He does. He does have strong sense of you know uh, a strong business sense he you can absolutely believe that he built up this empire and he's shown to be like a like a poor immigrant um there's a whole episode in scotland where he's where he was born and raised right like you can tell it, it makes a strong case that he absolutely deserved his position at as the head of this evil empire um as much as it makes the case that his kids are total dipshits. So clearly there is no heritable gene here that even money, that money couldn't buy them. So that's another, that's another interesting uh, twist to it too. 
um, that runs against uh, that runs against some of the ideological themes of the uh, of the past handful of years. Like, I mean, a lot of franchises fell over because they pressed on this, you know, heritability of greatness theme too uh, too hard or too unsubtly, right? Like Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Right. Oh yeah, people are too sick of the Skywalkers. Yeah, I mean that was a that was a that was a real like outrage for people. Like, how dare like you you spin it up as this like like thing that she's scrappy, she's talented, she works hard, she earns her place. Oh no, turns out she's the daughter of an emperor. That's ultimately why. <laughs> The emperor, yeah, um, yeah, and so people called it out very clearly there because it was so obvious. Because J.J. Abrams um, really should just get mulched. He's so bad at everything. I don't know what is going on here. I think he's like the dumb person's idea of what a smart person is. I swear. Um, Has he done anything aside. good since Alias? I mean, I never watched that show, but I heard that was actually good, and that's where he got to start, right? I, Alias was trashy. Um, it was sort of fun, I guess. He ruined Westworld, so fuck him, per- just personally. <laughs> um, so he screwed up Star Wars, and and I think the only reason is that he just made it. He was so dumb that he made it too obvious here. Because uh, just looking in that same year, right? Um, nobody, everyone criticized Game of Thrones, but they ultimately have the same. Uh, they were, they were ultimately had the same ethos here. It's an entire show, but only the ruling class. And how the entire thing is just about who among this uh, this little cabal of powerful people has the right to rule. And they just were dumb about it, but it's not fundamentally different. The Avengers, which closed out that year too, also is saying there is a class of, of uh, superhumans who we all need to, that we all, I mean, they're so powerful that we almost don't have a choice right to obey to let them do what they want but also it's also making the case that it's right for us to trust them in doing what they and there's no accountability no accountability at all um i remember very distinctly a lot of scenes in that last movie where i like like there's like there's like government people that try to be like oh well you can't just go do that without permission then like it's shown that like they just turn off the camera and go do whatever the fuck they want Right. And people cheered. I remember being in the theater and people were cheering at that moment. Like, oh, yeah, fuck the government. Yeah. How dare they tell? Tell what? This group of extremely dangerous people that flattened Manhattan like four times uh, that they can just go do whatever the fuck they want. Um, So we're led to cheer for that sort of shit. It's just kind of bred into us. And it just takes an idiot like J.J. Abrams to make it too obvious here. So... Um, so, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, there's not real, I'm just noticing some trends in, in the media depiction of, uh, of the wealthy and powerful here, not really making any kind of proscriptive declaration or anything. Yeah. Maybe this is where I should break out my, uh, watching of Gossip Girl, because I think the, the, they came out with the new version this year. There's only like six episodes, but I, I found them, the show is so boring. Like I cannot, in good conscience, recommend it to anyone, even as a hate watch, because it's so boring. Wait, how do you but, watch it? Because I tried, and I just I couldn't get past the title sequence. Well, because it's like I think. Well, did you watch the the old one? Uh, like I like I remember like the occasional episode if it happened to be like on the dorm TV or something. Right. Well, I've watched like maybe like three and a half seasons of it over the last like 15 years or so it's been out. But that's why I I, I kept watching the new one because I kept comparing it to the old one, just seeing how it evolved and comparing it to see what what how our culture had changed as well. And to go 
to see the show go from this very trashy um, kind of like expose of just how loathsome the rich are and how we get a chance now to kind of laugh at their uh, pointless squabbles and just how petty they are because they have no real purpose in their lives except to, you know, squabble over who gets invited to brunch or not. To now this new Gossip Girl in which we are now made to actually look up to these people, not look down. Because what was good about the original, and I think why people loved it, was that you're essentially looking down on not only the rich people, but also the ones who wanted to be them, who are the Humphreys. We're supposed to be like the poor people, but obviously they're not poor, uh, just based on how they live in mm-hmm. the fantasy the TV land. They live, they live in like a loft in, in Dumbo. Or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the it's like people who live in Brooklyn. That, yeah, you know, teen, like, the most outdated. Teen, you recently movie. watched the first season of You, so that the actor who yeah. plays Joe played mm-hmm. Dan in the yes. original. So he is yeah. essentially the same kind of character. This like bookish, uh-huh. and in the end, he turns out to be a total creep. Apparently, I didn't watch the finale of Gossip Girl, but he turns out to be a total creep. But it's kind of that same sense, um, like culturally aspiring to be elite, TV poor, but you know, not really poor. Uh, so. That was the original. And in this new one, all the despicable characters are now turned into these woke, socially conscious, or on the path to becoming socially conscious, like our social betters in every sense, not only financially, but morally, uh, culturally, you know, politically. And it was just so tone deaf in that regard. And I can see why nobody liked this show because it's like, no, if we want to see rich people in 2021, we want to just like laugh at them. We want to, yeah, yeah, we don't want to see them, you know, going through their like moral struggles and, and all that. Like, fuck that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why Elon Musk is the sort of like favorite billionaire is because he sort of mocks, he's a mockery of of that class like he you know he goes on rogan and smokes weed you know like shit like that like we we don't we want to see them be self-destructive we want to see them um like you know i think there there is a joy in in just watching sort of the uh i don't know how to describe it but like the sort of like re uh the like bring just bringing them back down to earth a little you know and um, anyway, I think that there is an Asian angle to this. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that one thing that I always am worried about is that, like, Asian Americans always seem to be culturally a little bit behind the times. Uh, and, you know, I think with Crazy Rich Asians, I, I always felt that there was a setup aspect to that where like Asians were a little bit too eager to be so like with all the problems that people brought up around the representational politics of crazy rich Asians, no one really focused in on like, do we really want to be seen as rich? You know? And um, there was a, there was to me a sort of unquestioning acceptance of the depiction of Asians as rich. I think the problem was more like, Oh, did we, you know, did we take care enough? Do they take care enough to represent brown Asians correctly? Like, should there be other Asians that are crazy rich? You know, like all this stuff. And, but never, not really squarely the question of like, do we really want to be seen as rich in this era? And I think now that it's 2021, it's been three or four years since that movie came out. 
you know, I think it's a little bit more clear with a little bit of hindsight and distance from that movie that maybe that wasn't a good idea. And I think that in an era where Asians are getting targeted and, you know, blamed for a lot of the problems in society and, uh, you know, like, you know, you have runaway real estate prices and people are like, it's the damn Chinese and, um, oh, we, lo we lost our jobs because the Asians are taking our wealth. And, you know, and we know that there's not a distinction really between Asian Americans and Asians in general, that um, the the changing attitude towards wealth coincides with the changing face of wealth. And a lot of times that face is Asian. And there is a, a growing narrative that Asians are a sort of overclass, which to Asian Americans can seem like a sort of breath of fresh air. To, it feels like a certain kind of awe and respect. But it's coming at a time when there is a huge amount of anger uh, at the overclass. And I think in a way uh, we're setting ourselves up to um, for a sort of anti, like the way Jews were set up in a way that there is, um, a, you know, a, a kind of anti-Semitic um, type of feeling that could be directed towards Asians. Uh, and I do worry that we are not up to date in terms of understanding the way that, people have changed in terms of like their attitudes towards the wealthy. Yeah, I can you know? see that, but it is also a fact that um, the, the shift in just global wealth and power is going from West to East. And it is, I yeah. wonder yeah. if, cause like Asian Americans within the context of America itself have always, we've always had this um, uncomfortableness with, with Asian Americans being, like uh, forget about Asians in Asia, like Asian Americans being seen as too successful. And then we try to downplay that by saying, Oh, actually, no. Um, yeah, we, um, might dominate like Silicon Valley, at least at the entry level. Mm -hmm. But did you know that the Hmong or, uh, Laotian Americans aren't doing well, you know, that kind of, everyone can kind of see through it, that, that, like that, that need to kind of play down our thing. And, um, I agree that obviously you don't want to accident or whatever, just like put yourself in the position of Patsy when everyone needs like a new, new like person to gang up on. But it's mm -hmm. also, you know, you can't deny that fact that there has been this shift and on some level we should acknowledge it. No, no, we should, but I think we need to also do that with an appreciation of what Jess is pointing out, which is that um, like, you don't, you want to, kind of like we, we should take that into we should take the fact that people are very resentful towards the wealthy and towards especially wealthy outsiders and um that the, the 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 notion that not all asians are rich is really not a corrective because people don't care about who's poor they care about who's rich right so you could point out that there's poor asians but when there clearly are uh there clearly is you know, a lot of wealth originating in Asia that finds its way over here. And there is a new overclass of Asians that are um, coming here often to, uh, you know, protect their capital or, or to invest in real estate or, or something like that. Like you said, that is a reality that's going on. And uh, it's not a particularly, uh, it's not, it's not one that I think makes Asians look good or, makes our presence here 
more well like we're not more welcome because of that i think we're less welcome because of that and um yeah i i i don't know anything more specific to say about that other than uh you know when just brought the topic up i thought it was important because i've been thinking about this for a while that um we got to start we got we got to start thinking about what all of this means um and what the what the reaction particularly among sort of aggrieved working class whites is going to be because so far it doesn't look good you know what i mean like it, it the backlash against asians is sort of like racialized anger that has class resentments and racial resentments in it is a very sort of potent combination yeah, I mean, I think COVID was the great accelerant for all of that. So, um, so I, I, I think like you and I disagreed at the time on our opinions of crazy rich Asians. Um, there definitely was a cathartic element that, uh, to be honest, people probably needed, and to some degree, what it was a reflection of reality. Uh, it offered an alternative view of Asia, which up to that point, um, was still kind of backwater. You know backwards you know poor place um it did all offer an alternative vision of that but covid really upended the game on this so you know do you do we really want to be associated when with that when uh, asia is both immeasurably wealthy uh and you know the source of plague and about to become you know enemy number one um that's a dangerous mix and i think uh, like covid accelerated this 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 uh resentment against the super rich too not not the disease itself but i mean just in the last year what billionaires added like what like two trillion or something to their to their bottom line over the course of the year that's a big accelerant to how people react to these to react to these things so i think there's a particular danger now not that crazy rich Asians necessarily was uh was the harbinger of great evil to come but that there's a risk now in being too far behind the curve right so now all of a sudden as uh, like the opinion on like you know as the image of white wealth recedes now all of a sudden what's the easiest target left standing is the asian rich right so we have you know crazy rich Asians was a couple of years ago 2018 you said chris yes um, yes the okay. book came out in 2013 yeah so now we have like so let's see what's on the what's on the roster now right like so we have uh bling empire which is still airing um we have that new uh ken jong sitcom i have no idea where you know if it's still going on or, or not but there was that one that was announced right i hope it's canceled um where ken jong is like the head of a you know real estate empire based in malibu or something um, yeah, with his white, you know, beauty passion wife. Isn't like, isn't isn't is is the Asian character like a? Is he is he factor into the later episodes or what? The the in succession, um, the the company that they they sort of oh like, Lawrence the vulture oh, guy yeah 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 oh uh, yeah no he remains like uh yeah a fairly important minor character throughout until about season two. I haven't seen him pop up in season three yet. Okay. But I think he's going to make uh, a return. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, it's it's accurate, right? Um, these deals happen all the time. And, you know, a lot of them do have Asian faces to them. Um, right. So it's hard to balance, like, just depicting what the actual there, dynamic is and, you know, what's what's good representation, let's say. Well, there, yeah. There was the, um, you know, the guy. Uh, what, what's his name? Um, the guy who wrote the big short. 
uh oh michael lewis yeah michael lewis you remember like he wrote flash boys as a follow-up to big short and it was about Brian yes. Katsuyama and um they hollywood was like let's whitewash him and he was like no but that i mean that's and and i'm pretty familiar with his uh with that startup and it's like all asian americans like you know on the on that management team mm-hmm. and um there i guess for me it's like it, it is probably for asian americans worth considering like the model minority discourse might want to evolve a little bit past model minority and into more like the territory of anti-Semitism and sort of like the politics of resentment, both class and racial resentment, because I think that's a real dynamic right now, you know? And I think that this probably wasn't as big a problem uh, in let's say the pre pre financial crisis era I think because there wasn't quite the same level of class resentment that there was, there was always racial resentment, but I think once we moved into this new era where there is a very strong populist backlash against elite elitism and the ruling class and part of their very revanchist anger is the multicultural aspect of that ruling class and how they let non-whites rule whites. And above all is the Asian. Um, Particularly China. Yeah, with China as the sort of base of power for Asians. Yeah, I mean, the the story goes to these people, the the globalist upper class sold out the white, basically white, I mean, they call it American, what they mean is white, middle and underclasses. To, to China in exchange for whatever luxury goods and all that shit. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that they were basically deceived or in cahoots with, uh, you know, um, some sort of um, conspiracy with the Chinese to do this. I think it's a very, I mean, let's see how it, we, we, we should keep, you know, we should all of course be keeping an eye on this, but it's like, that's a pretty deep rabbit hole potentially, I think that could is probably going to get worse not better with time you know because i i think you know we'll, we'll see what happens over the next few years but um i don't think it looks good for us uh, us being america like i don't think that the economic trajectory of the u.s is going to get better anytime soon um there's no indication it will <laughs> no there really isn't and you know it's like a humpty dumpty thing like things don't <laughs> things tend not to just like co like it doesn't it's not like things fall apart and then so- suddenly they just reverse like you know when things fall apart it leads to more shit falling apart and it's uh kind of a chain reaction thing yeah. i and, mean you yeah. all saw that article about how uh kamala pete is the democrats oh God. Yeah. big hope in 2024 yeah which, as I said, convinces me that this is a total tank job by the Democrats. They are not trying to win. They cannot honestly be trying to win if they think that's the that's the ticket. But then, like, what's the alternative? I, I honestly don't that may, know. That may be the problem is there's just no alternative. No, I mean on the Republican side. Oh, I see. Maybe Trump, Trump again. <laughs> it's Trump. <laughs> he's polling. He's he's polling so well. <laughs> If he gets reelected, it, it is game over. Like it's that is that would be the darkest but most hilarious comedy of all time. 
You have to <laughs> like not be here to see the humor. <laughs> like a, like an old, like even older, more senile, like more diaper <laughs> Trump making yeah. his comeback in 225, absolutely dominating the Republican field. Like Ron DeSantis, like this guy's not going to stand. Yeah. Um. In a, like you know he's gonna he's, something's gonna fuck him up, and yeah. just like old man Trump comes back. <laughs> he's oh my Trump. god, man! Have you seen pictures of this guy? They're hard to come by, but Trump. He, I think he got like oh, so he lost he, weight. Like, lost weight or something. Yeah, he or? lost weight. I think he got some he's work like done. Yeah, this is his training montage. <laughs> I'm telling training. you. Yeah. He's Cut like drinking the, the raw eggs yeah. and running around. You know, running in in his his sweats in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna see a comeback. He's now. probably going to um, sacrifice one of his sons and and take their uh, their like marrow and whatever. It's like I don't know why you want it. That's a Eric. downgrade. <laughs> he doesn't tweet anymore. He like sends out these proclamations that get screenshotted and then retweeted by people. I I and, love those. Like yeah. whenever yeah. it comes out, I celebrate. I'm just like yes. We need to. <laughs> And he it's always like Colin does it. Powell, what a loser! You know, yeah, like, no, yeah. and, and, and that was actually one of the more substantive ones because he's always uh-huh. comp- whining about like the Emmys or something. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it's like exactly what we would see with with Twitter if he had Twitter with like an extra two hundred character counts or something. Yeah, it's great. Look, we live in a country that lacks what you guys called what asabia. Is that what it was called? Yes. There's yes. no asabia to be seen. None. No, everybody's out for themselves. Absolutely yeah. no sense of collective. Uh, yeah. See, like redistribution <laughs> would be the easiest way to kind of to to quench the fire a little bit, to turn the heat down, right? To, but there's no evidence of that in the works. So, like, where I see a danger point is if uh, if the wealthy want to protect their their interests, it becomes cheaper to allow a few scapegoats to be sacrificed. Right. Um, it when that day comes, and that seems to be a when, we're next in line. We're easy targets for that. And if you're looking, the markers are everywhere. I'm not saying like markers for scapegoating, but the markers that make the case that the Asians should you know are next, should be the should be next in the right order of of of, of things, right? Um yeah. like and, I, and I it's something that never really got gets gets discussed in like mainstream Asian American discourse, which is always like really kind of pathetic, kinda kinda sad sack, <laughs> you know, navel gazing shit. But if you come to L if you come to LA, right, um everyone's heard of Rodeo Drive, right? Everyone who's seen like Pretty Woman. No, the like, fancy the fancy, the fancy place. Yeah, right? the P yeah. like our premier like shopping destination in the heart of Beverly Hills, right? If you go shopping there, what you notice is every single store there has a Mandarin speaking store clerk and uh every sign ha- is uh, is translated into into Chinese. It's right there, like Chinese and Japanese. And I saw like one store recently that had like Korean. I'm like, yeah, we fucking made it. We're going to the camps. We're just like you guys now. Cool. Um, so this is like the heart of money, right? So this is an obvious sign that, you know, these brands, you know, hyper attuned to where money is and actively courting it, sees that market there. This is like proof. It's confirmation. Uh, there's no, there's no, there's no Spanish at the Gucci store. Let me tell you that, right? It's Mandarin. 
Right. You walk in the door. And you know, a lot of the stories that you hear about, you know, in Asian America, it's about how you're, you're discriminated against, right? But I have definitely been in a position where, like, like my aunt, who is wealthy, had me, like, but she's in South Korea. When my cousin, my, my girl cousin was getting married, she had me do a lot of the shopping here in the States to send back to Korea. Because a lot of the stuff she wanted wasn't available in so long story. So I would just go. Uh, I am not. I am not rich by. I, I'm not. So I have really no business being in on Rodeo Drive. I walk into a store and people are nice to me. I'm not dressed particularly well. I'm not like, you know, I don't have you know so much charisma that people have no choice but to obey my 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 will. I walk in and it's because that I'm just I'm Asian. Um, that mm-hmm. they're willing to extend that kind of social credit to me that I might have, that I might be worth their time. Oh, for sure. I um, think that's a big, that yeah. happens a lot. These you go days. to a fancy car yeah. dealer. So you go to Southern California and you, and you like, and, and there's like a really flashy car driving around. L- try to look inside. More often than not, it's going to be an Asian face inside. Right. Like this money is everywhere, which, and I think like right now, I think white money is a little bit more discreet than Asian money. Um, so all this to say, like, uh, all this to say, like, if we're not careful about this, this means that when white money manages to make itself hidden or not the target of populist anger, we're going to be right there with our fucking neon pink Barbie Lamborghinis and Gucci. <laughs> right? Yeah, the, though, though I will say that I think that the you know in a way i think i am not that fearful of that because you know i think that the real like this is all part of a larger war social war sometimes that's sometimes a hot war going on in america um that has been going on for a long time and asian people i think are going to be like like a you know, uh, an aggravating factor in that. But the real hostility is actually like white on white hostility. And I think like an example of that, and in a way, I think it's actually like the conservative, the sort of like Trump country that is actually more angry at whites than they really are at Asians. Though they will hate crime Asians and shit like that for sure. But the main uh, target are, you know, liberal elite whites. And you know, an example of that is like how, you know, I think like the mainstream uh, liberal media really did dabble in a lot of the notion that, uh, you know, China was the source of COVID and this is really China's fault and all this stuff. And that, if you look at what the sort of like, um, you know, the right wing was saying, they were saying a lot of the same things. And I think people were sort of like, oh, they're going to be even worse. But if you notice their main target was really like Biden and Fauci and the real, you know, the version of their conspiracy theory about, you know, China being having like created COVID in a lab and then unleashing it wasn't, oh, the evil Chinese. It was actually more like the evil NIH and the evil Fauci who had funded this stuff at, you know, and that was what uh, Rand, uh, Rand Paul has been trying to do all along is paint Fauci as the ultimate bad actor. And China was just sort of the site where it took place. And so in a way, I, I still sort of lean on this belief that the fear that, well, the real 
conflict in America is still between competing factions of white people. And what we need to do is make sure that we don't get stuck in the crosshairs. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, this is more like an admonition to individual people mm. right and like i know yeah. people who have like nicer cars and they've actually like like put them away right like they use the beater yeah. keep it on the around. dl yeah yeah. Like, yeah don't drive your lamborghini fucking suv around like, yeah well like keep it keep it simple like there yeah. are some there there's some asians rolling around like like dude you have to just you're gonna like wasn't there that article like like a news piece from a couple weeks ago i think was, this was in canada some guy yeah. like got his like three hundred thousand dollar lamborghini jacked yeah. with a whole bunch of shit inside like he was obviously targeted yeah. right assuming it's not an insurance yeah. scam um he was mm-hmm. clearly targeted right yeah. um so yeah. this is more Don't like a like an everyday like, like like geopolitics aside, just like just watch your six. Be careful. We're not. We're not. You know, this is the, we're heading into into uncertain times here for sure. Um, big picture, yeah, I, that is absolutely the the fault line in American politics. Um, I mean, I was following like Alex Jones for a while, and it's, it's a little bit of old school racism <laughs> snuck in there too. So you know, it's a little bit like like like. Um, not quite believing that Asia is capable of doing this whole thing on its own too. Like they kind of had to be dupes or, you know, the lackeys of some higher power and that higher power would be based in the United States. So there's a little bit of that, but overall I definitely see what you're saying, understand what you're saying, because that's, that's what they're saying. When they say like the globalist conspiracy, this is a coalition, a multiracial coalition of the world's most powerful people orchestrating this thing upon the rest of us for their own ends. Yeah. I also don't want to bring this up like towards like the end of the podcast. I think this warrants a whole other episode, but there have been numerous reports coming out how in the New York City mayor's election, uh, Curtis Sliwa or Sliwa, I'm not sure how you say his name, got a higher than expected percentage of the Asian vote. And he became famous in the 80s for what, heading something called the Guardian Angels, right? They were protecting the subways or whatever. I mean, these are the days of like Bernard Getz and and like the all the days of like violence down there. And I, I think Jake Caspian Kang uh, wrote something, and a whole lot of other people have done it. And and maybe it's these, even though uh, the people who voted for Sliwa were probably lower class Asians, maybe they also feel that the the thing that will really um, define Asian American political like necessities and interests in the in the near future and beyond is just like physical safety and whoever is willing to unabashedly offer it uh and it's certainly not like the asian american like liberals or progressives uh in in the status quo because they are very reticent to talk about this unless the perpetrator is the picture perfect um person like in the atlanta spa murders where he was just like checked off every list of you know, easy to hate type of person. Um, so maybe there's some of that going around, like they can see this thing that we're just talking about. Yeah, I think uh, the, the um, you know, I think maybe there is, uh, a, you know, there's a major difference in like class attitudes here among Asians too, that, um, that, the sort of like elite, more assimilated Asians just probably don't see yet. Like they, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I don't think, and I think that's something like, and, and in a way I'm like, 
on on pods like these, I sometimes feel like they're our audience, and and I'm like trying to, you know, we're trying to like point this out to them or something. But like, like for a lot of us, sort of like assimilated, educated agents or whatever, like our values are no longer a good look. You know what I mean? Like they're regressive. That, they're actually behind the times. You notice that like our activist yeah. class is like the most, uh, like clueless behind the times people out of all of us. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and the way we try to cover it up is so basic and so Becky, you know, it's so white and clumsy. And, and I've seen this play out online a lot and we're, we're like, you know, we're like outdated white people, <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? And, and it's, it's just, it's just not a good look. Like, I, I just think like we're sporting a very bad look in the, in, in the way that the politics and society is shaping out um, over the past couple of years that makes the sort of elite professional class of Asians uh, particularly vulnerable um, to being scapegoated and sort of um, mocked in a way that, you know, I don't know. I just I don't I don't know exactly where that's leading for us, but it is something that I think we should pay attention to. So, well, defend material interests, right? I think a lot of mm-hmm. if they're being if they're not being yeah. you know in bad faith about it, and saying oh I don't know what, what you know what, what what's the just defend material interests. It's so simple. Yeah, but that, then that, that puts you on like sort of bad footing with your colleagues, and you know what I mean. Like well, I don't know, it's just. Then you have bad colleagues. You're probably a bad but, but person But in a way, yourself. they are defending. In a way, they are defending material interests. They're defending personal, their they're, material they're not defending, interests. Well, exactly. Yeah, that's that's what they're doing. You see, so, um, but at, you know, and and because their interests are at odds with, um, you know, with uh, with with other Asians, right? Mm-hmm. That are in a different uh, stratum. Um, so, and bringing it home, like, I mean, hope, I don't think it'll play out like this again in, um, we're just not in the era of, uh, you know, very, very visible gestures like this, but let's take it back to like Mm -hmm. Japanese internment. Right. So, um, I mean, that was ultimately property expropriation from wealth, from well-to-do Japanese, uh, land holders in California. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, decided to be bad law, bad press, and so not a, not a great look. There's also nothing to say that something like that cannot happen again, right? If the if the heat goes up too high, um, it's very easy to look at to look at some scapegoatable population and take their shit. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it'll be done in a slightly different way. I don't think they're going to recreate the internment, but it'll be done. It'll, you know, it could. It'll it be could done sub rosa. It do won't be. Thing. It won't be on mass the way it was there. But that doesn't mean that yeah. that that's Well, same, they're not going to take away your farmland, right? But they're going to they're going to take away, say, money that they that they're they going to make it harder to keep your home. They're going to make it hard to buy a yeah. home, right? Yeah. Um. I mean, in California, especially, you know, that's a it's a huge concentrated and you know a lot of a lot of the Asians in California do have considerable property um so that's a that's that's a move that's that definitely a move that to to be careful of in the future um i mean and it's i i don't know i guess this is this is where i <laughs> i i disagreed with Kenny Shu 
on on that pod when he got to this point. Um, oh God, yeah, deeply yeah, actually. That was not a good point. Um, yeah. Great discussion, but on this on this one point, this is a this is a this is a liberal outlook that presupposes a more benevolent, mature society than it turns out it is. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just like good luck following that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like as a principle, uh, I don't know how to I don't know how yeah. to trust that. Right. Um, so saying like, okay, <laughs> yeah. so the Japanese, you know, what did the Japanese lose in this case? Well, first of all, why were they targeted? Right. Um, Japanese and Hawaii weren't. That was a that was a big population of Japanese people. They weren't targeted for internment, right? It was just you know it was white farm owners in California that that uh, that targeted the, these Japanese farms, which were not they were not poor people either. These were the most this was the most productive farmland in California, already an agricultural uh, superpower in the country. The most productive, the most valuable land um, was what belonged to the Japanese. Um, I, the amount that was taken from them was, in today's dollars, six billion dollars. They got twenty. They got twenty thousand dollars a piece. Fifty years later, right? And that's not even accounting for the value of the land. If they were able to hold on to that land, that's not accounting for the value that that land turned into. In fifty years, if if they if they had held on to that land, there would be a lot more Japanese faces in the in the Forbes one hundred. Um, so you know, ultimately, when it you know, so I don't, I don't, I don't know. Sometimes I I see this uh, um, the culture war stuff that re, that uh, largely seems to revolve around matters of race here. I think, uh, and I mean, this is not to say that, you know, racism is not a real driving force, but I think we've kind of made it kind of a totalizing ideology, an all encompassing, all explanatory force. And we're forgetting to look at more immediate material drivers of his history here. Um, so if we're focusing on race, we're not actually, we're not actually looking at the bottom line in this case. We're not being like, I didn't know about this Japanese, you know, the Japanese, the history of internment. I knew about it as a story in a story of racism, which it absolutely was, but nothing in that story accounts for, you know, uh, the Japanese actually being some of the wealthiest landowners in California and why their property in particular was taken. So it kind of it kind of it's it's distracting in a sense too because if you buy into that too deeply and I don't know where that line is either uh, just if you buy into it too uncritically you don't actually see the the red flags that are waving in front of you. I don't know if that makes any sense. But like like once once I learned that history, you know, far, the actual farm why the farmland in particular was so targeted um then all of a sudden you extrapolate it to the dynamic today and you can see how this actually could happen in some sense, in some way, shape, or form. This could easily happen again. And we could easily find a societal justification for it in the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think stuff is happening. We just don't really say anything about it. Right? Like, like I don't see any Asian... I didn't read... Um, jck's book but like have any of these blue check writers mentioned the china initiative at all Do no they even know what it is i blew right? through like, so there's this there's JCK's like literally book and kathy park hong's book almost back to back this past week 
Yeah, I mean, they make no mention of this stuff because they don't care. They don't think about it. But it's like, you know, it, it, it's something that the Cato Institute, Cato, I mean, it's like pretty, you know, uh, mainstream conservative think tank um, labeled sort of state-sanctioned, state-backed persecution, racial persecution. So it, it is going on, um, but we don't even really want to talk about it. And I don't know why there's so much silence around that. Um, and it is definitely linked to um, the view of of a sort of like rising Asia and this sort of fear of Asian people and our um, the sort of like nefarious intentions they write onto us. And there is a government program that is specifically targeting Chinese um, people in America. And Asian Americans, by and large, don't care. You know, they really don't care. I've never, I've never seen any of these like writers talk about it at all. So maybe um, they all think it's kind of deserved because they probably see. Yeah, it. I mean, I brought it up with Kenny, and he was like, "I think it's deserved." I mean, well, he, he I don't know what he like, brought up. Uh, he, it was kind of a I don't know what to what to read into it, but it was kind of uh, why did he bring up you know Chinese WeHack WeChat hackers? Those are Chinese as a way to justify as, as a way to justify. But I mean, do you see like the illusion there? Like those are Chinese people in China. Um, well, I know because he didn't know exactly what I was talking about. Okay, you know, but, so I'm like, um, did you just did you just do a racism there, buddy? Did you just yeah, conflate no, Chinese but, American with Chinese? But I mean, I mean, what I'm saying is like, not only is it likely to happen again, it is some different form. I mean, they're not going to take our farmland because we don't have it. But you know, there will be racial. There are racial persecutions going racial purges going on and nobody cares it's done out in the open i mean the doj doesn't hide the fact that it's doing this it's proud of the fact that it's doing this nobody cares see i think this is uh, uh this so. is the world is kind of validating foucault in a sense um do you guys know what i'm talking about here no okay so uh michel foucault um he he had he, he has this theory that uh, the trajectory of civilized society is largely a matter of hiding its violence. Right. So he opens a book really graphically by describing like drawing and quartering, right. The punishment for treason. Right. So several hundred years ago, you know, executions were public, right. Um, a, a visible demonstration of state power uh, and, you know, punishing the, the punishing the accused, the criminal is only part of the equation. The rest of it is to show everyone else what the state is, uh, what the power is capable of doing if you step out of line. Uh, and then progressively over time, um, this, uh, this punishment gets abstracted and rendered invisible. Right. So now for most people, it's really just a fear of the punishment that is never really fully revealed uh, openly to us, but it's whispered about. We know it happens, but we don't know exactly what is happening or to whom or where. Um, so in that sense, you know, tra you know, traversing the centuries in that case. Right. So like Japanese incarceration, that's a very visible demonstration of a mass punishment, but it's, but it's easily quantifiable. You can see this happening. A bunch of Japanese people losing their homes, being driven out uh, and put in, in inhumane conditions in the middle of nowhere, right. Stripped of their land and property and human dignity. Right. Um, 
Foucault's thesis extended, and it's holding up fairly well, is that this does we won't see that again. That is way too public a demonstration. What we will yeah. see now is individuals get picked off. Yeah, that's what's um, happening. So, um, so it's just members of the. They're herd. not gonna. They're not gonna claim. They're not gonna bring back the Chinese Exclusion Act too. No, it's not gonna be called that. You know, it's going to be um, just a whole bunch mm-hmm. of Chinese people being accused of mm-hmm. espionage yeah. or some or some sort, like mm-hmm. disappeared from public life. Um, yeah, and it's going to be justified using di- on the on different bases. Yeah, it's going to be justified using like whatever is would be would work today. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're, we're we're we look back on the past and we're like, oh yeah, we would never do the Japanese internment again. Well, that's because World War II is over. Right. Like, you know, we we're, we're not living under the you know, we're not living within the, the shadow of of Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. Right. But we when we were under the shadow of 9-11, uh, you know, the racialized policies that we had towards Muslims didn't seem all that crazy because we actually were scared of Muslim, te- uh, you know, Islamic terrorism. Right. We weren't scared of Pearl Harbor. We were scared of Islamic terrorism. So like we are we're OK with the Patriot Act, all that other shit. Right. And so it's it, about it'll be always justified on like refreshed contemporary grounds. And yeah. It won't feel the same. So if you know, we had and, rounded and up the, the Muslims, China, we, we, if we had mm-hmm. rounded up the Muslims, I'm pretty sure most of the country would have come out against that. That would invite international scrutiny and all of that, too. Um, but you just cast a you just cast that shadow over them and then you can justify whatever you well, do. And, to and you know, you, you send them to Guant. You send them to Guantanamo out of Yeah, sight. see, that's another abstraction. Yeah. This stuff, look, mm-hmm. a lot of the worst stuff doesn't even happen on our on our land <laughs> in mm-hmm. inside the boundaries of this country. It ha- it's yeah. abstracted. We've abstracted war. We've we've abstracted punishment. Like well, you just turn it into war and then we don't think of war as the same as criminal justice, right? So yeah. you could you could tor- torture and kill and even murder civilians in the, in but call it war and we're like, oh, "Okay, well it happens." You could you can never do that, you know, domestically. And if you build up the car, you so. know the carceral state within your borders slowly enough, pretty soon you can have like twenty five percent of uh, black men in your country locked up, and the country is is still okay with it. They don't even know, right? So like when I tell you, like, oh, Japanese and well, we're we are running these concentration camps. <laughs> we are right now. Just not on Japanese people, but we are. But we don't see it that way because we've been told we're just told not to see it that way. So same thing will be happening, I think, to uh, to Chinese people specifically uh, and Asians more broadly. I think Chinese people will be targeted by the state, the apparatus of the state, and everyone else who shares a similarity with them will be targeted on the ground. But because it happens to individuals, we we have a very hard time coalescing some kind of like uh, uh, community, like communal understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, uh, we should to tie this all. Yeah, yeah. To tie this all, is, is there a way we can like wrap that up to what we started? I mean, not that we have to, but if we can uh, circle it back, maybe it'd be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that the for me, like just this, you know, the the thing is that as much as we are now in an era where we like resent the wealthy, and um, that you know, both even on the right, 
it's not just the left thing to resent the wealthy now. Even on the right, they do that. They hate um, corporations more, now. What's that? They hate corporations now because they're too. Yeah, they woke. hate corporations now, and uh, you know sometimes the populist messaging of Fox News is even stronger than you see, much stronger than you see even in liberal media, mm-hmm. which tends to. I mean, they all um, they all hate the big tech companies. They hate the big tech companies. They hate Harvard. They hate. I mean, they you know, hate big pharma now too. Yeah, they hate big pharma. So and yeah, it and and so you're, we're in an era now, I think, where the we're moving um, past. I think this is a major inflection point because it's never been like this in my lifetime. I've never, I've never experienced this before um, in my life, and it feels. At least I don't think I have. And it does feel like um, there has been um, a major shift that doesn't happen a lot. You know, I mean, maybe it's happened before in America, but not in a long time. And I think that that is both a lot of us welcome that because a lot of us do feel that it's righteous to, um, you know, re re adjust our attitudes towards the sort of corporate ruling class and it's deserved. But the thing is when we turn on that, what does it get replaced with? Like what, what is now like if, if suck, if the worship of money and power um, and capitalism was the organizing principle up until uh, you know, just a few, you know, up until the other day, then what, what do we have now? And I think that's the scarier part of this whole thing is I don't know what replaces that other than sort of this sort of incipient nihilism. And um, I think that's a danger. You know, it's it's not good enough for us to just say, oh, yeah, we hate the wealthy now. Let's eat the rich. Um, what does it get replaced by? Uh, it doesn't seem like there's any coherent alternative other than this sort of just, you know, chaotic nihilism. Uh, and that that is, it tells me that we're entering a kind of dangerous era. So that's that's how I view all of this. I'd say this is an era to be cautious. Sounds like something a billionaire would say. <laughs> Tina, are you a secret billionaire? Have you been holding out on us? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, just bring like one, <laughs> just one one show um, <laughs> that I think was a little ahead of the curve and got some shit uh-huh. for it. Um, it's Silicon uh-huh. Valley. Um, uh-huh. Again, a lampooning of of tech, uh, and it ended. You know, it it ended in a in a weird time for you know the tech industry and society at large. It and and the way it ended was uh, like people hated the, the ending to this show. It ends with the protagonists not getting rich. Um, like I don't know if I'm like ah uh, oh, screw it. You know, it's it's been so long. I'm gonna spoilers whatever. Yeah, right? So on. the show ends Absolutely. with uh you know the pro- mm-hmm. the protagonist is set up on a se- in a you know series long arc, and it's supposed he's supposed to be the you know if we follow the pr- the formula uh pres- the if we follow the formula, he's supposed to um live as happily ever after as like the Mark Zuckerberg of this this show's universe, right? A billionaire, powerful, uh, one of the titans of this industry, etc. Um. But ultimately, it's he he he, it is shown that you actually cannot live your values and succeed in this industry. And it actually shows the cost of that. The cost of of making, quote, the correct choice is living a much is 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 basically uh, having your dreams shattered. 
and living a much more prosaic, hum- humble life, like humiliated life in some senses. He ends up working for the guy he's arch enemies with for most of the show. Um, right. That's the price you pay. And people really hated that. It was supposed to, this was like the, this was when, you know, the woke era was starting to build steam here. The idea was if you live by your principles, you do the right thing, you are rewarded handsomely for it. People hated that message, but a couple of years out, it's actually, I mean, are we, I don't know. I think Mike Judge wins again. I think he was onto something there. Um, so, uh, where, where am I, where am I going with that? It's, it's basically saying, you know, to quote a tagline that was very popular, maybe 10, 15 years ago, rich, rich and powerful people, they're just like you and me. Um, and that's actually kind of scary too. Um, I think a big realization in my thirties that's causing some amount of existential horror is that there are no adults in the room. Um, there is no rightful order to things. There is no, there is no benevolent uh, super being that actually can, has the answers and we just need to listen to them. This is a hard process. Uh, so I, I'm ultimately with teen. I think this is going to be a pretty scary uh, era in the near term. And I don't know when it ends or when it, I don't know if it's accelerated yet even. And I don't certainly don't know where it ends. We just, I just know that this is not exactly a country that has the social underpinnings to be able to survive it well. Okay. Um, I think that's a good place to end this. We're, we're at a good time now. So uh, any, any, you, you want to close this out, Jess, since you, you uh, opened us? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't <laughs> So I just want to say goodbye to the listeners. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Watch your six. Be careful. Be safe. Be sane. Uh, all right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back very soon with another episode. So this is Kate from Plan A. Bye, everyone. Bye. See ya. Cool. All right. Mm-hmm.